The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Psalm 65.1, praise awaits thee, O God, in Zion. We want to send our love and best wishes to the state of Israel and our Jewish patriarchs of the faith everywhere, the cherished Jewish people. As we're making this program during the high holy days of the fall Levitical festivals, the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Kippur, and the Feast of Tabernacles. We're living in prophetic, momentous times and you can't afford to sit on the sidelines. You are part of this historic generation that must take a stand. And part of doing exploits for God is understanding the times. Hello, I'm Christine Dark. This new year, number 5776 on the Hebrew calendar, is a jubilee year of release, as well as a leap year in the Hebrew cycle, meaning this year there'll be an extra month. There'll be two Hebrew months of Adar this year, Adar 1 and Adar 2. 5776 is a highly significant year prophetically. The Hebrew word Yovel, or jubilee, means also a trumpet or a ram's horn called a shofar. Shofars are blown to announce the beginning of Sabbaths and holidays. And in biblical times, they were also used at the coronation of kings and to rally the people to battle. Well, never have we seen so many prophetic signs converging as now. And yet, just when the Jewish people need the most support of the church in order to prepare for the coming of Messiah, anti-Semitism is tragically at its highest once again. Divestment and boycott movements unbelievably within the church are a menace and a failure of faith. I urge you to recognize the Bible's prophetic signs of the times. So don't be on the wrong side of history. A friend on Facebook sent me a private message saying, help. She didn't know how to respond to an anti-Israel internet video edited to make Israelis look like racists. The video she had watched made it look like Israel doesn't care about the immigration crisis engulfing Europe. But people simply no longer seem to understand the vital elements that constitute a nation. You see, in order for a country to be a country, at least three elements are needed. A distinct culture, a distinct language, and secure borders. The current migration crisis threatens many European nations to lose their distinctiveness. In fact, it's possible that Western culture will mutate to Islam due to jihad by migration followed by high Islamic birth rates. Israelis who have suffered so much wandering and persecution among the nations for the past nearly 2,000 years can't afford to be overrun by immigrants of other nationalities. With the ever-present menace of anti-Semitism, the Jews desperately need a safe haven, and the character of the small Jewish state can't afford a demographic invasion. Don't forget, 
Israel is tiny. Sometimes little Israel is likened to the modest size of American states, such as New Jersey or Delaware. Well, the vile, manipulative video that was sent to my friend to attack her support for the Jewish state made the Israelis look like hate-filled bigots. Within every nation, there are extremists, but generally speaking, there's no fairer place to live than Israel. For example, I posted a video at my Jerusalem Channel Facebook page demonstrating that Israel has provided urgent medical treatment to more than 1,500 Syrians in the current crisis. Whenever there's a disaster in the world, the Israelis are the first to respond with their search and rescue teams and sophisticated field hospitals. And the Israeli military does try to be the most ethical army in the world. Israeli soldiers are duty-bound to refuse any order they consider to be immoral. You see, it's easy to be an armchair ethicist concerning Israel, but Israel has done more to remain ethical as possible during actual warfare than any other continually besieged nation. The Israeli army warns residents of impending attacks by actually dropping leaflets and even making phone calls, methods that no other military operates in a time of war. And please don't forget that Israel is the only democracy in the region. It's been noted that Israeli-style democracy is more fashioned like France than American-style democracy. You see, in Israel, there are not just two main political parties. There's a party for every persuasion, including a party for Israeli Arabs. Israel's politics allows for a multi-party system with numerous parties represented in the 120-seat parliament called the Knesset. For example, in the 2015 elections, 10 parties or alliances competed and five parties won at least 10 seats. All Israeli governments so far have been comprised of coalitions of two or more parties. Israel grants its Arab citizens more freedoms than any Islamic nation. And that's why Arabs want to live and work in Israel. Israeli Arabs secretly prize their Israeli citizenship, and many no longer even keep it a secret. You see, in the past, many Israeli Arabs have been forced to demonize the Jewish state for fear of being viewed as traitors to the Islamic cause. However, when Arabs realize how good they've actually got it compared to living under nearby oppressive Islamic regimes, many Israeli Arabs have been coming out of their closets, so to speak, to admit that they're grateful to be Israeli citizens. Many are giving back to their safe haven by being willing to defend their way of life by serving in the Israeli army. And think about this. There are no Jews in Gaza. In fact, Gaza has been Judenrein since 1995. The Nazis used the term Judenrein or Judenrein to describe areas where all Jews had been murdered or deported. The term Occupied territories is another piece of propaganda. If anything, the biblical heartland of Judea and Samaria should be called disputed territories. 
You see, Israel has been willing time and again to withdraw from territories, even biblical territories belonging to them, in order to try to gain peace. The only demand Israel has ever made to have, actually, is defensible borders. And that's a demand every sane nation must insist upon. Well, come and see for yourself. I invite you to visit Israel and you'll discover a bright and prosperous nation despite the continual warfare and agitation against it. The biblical homeland is kept clean and it's often joked that the national bird of this country is the construction crane. Building is booming, technology is exploding, the land is alive, and Israelis are full of love for the land. Israel is said to be the only nation in the past 50 years that has a surplus of trees every year due to reforestation of the formerly denuded Holy Land. The land of Israel was desolate in many ways before the Jews returned and put tender loving care into restoring the landscape. Other nations have deforestation projects to clear out trees, to make room for more homes and industries. But Israel's reforestation has been a sign and a wonder. Meanwhile, we want to congratulate Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu for once again holding a regular Bible study along with his wife Sarah at their official residence in Jerusalem. I ask you what other national leader humbles himself to hold a Bible study in front of television cameras in his home with guests. And by the way, I so agree with Bible teacher Chuck Missler. He said that home Bible studies provide the best environment for spiritual growth. Well, although Bibi Netanyahu reportedly has the highest IQ of international leaders, he's not too intellectual to know that he cannot live without the Bible as his moral and spiritual compass. At his New Year Bible study, Netanyahu spoke of the crucial significance the Bible has to the Jewish presence in the Holy Land. He called the Tanakh, that's the Hebrew scriptures, the rock of our existence and our link to our land. It's his custom to read the Bible every Shabbat. Netanyahu said he draws great inspiration from it and he regularly studies the Bible with his son Avner. And so the Prime Minister is setting a good example as a parent reading the Bible to and with their children. The Prime Minister noted that the Bible's lessons are of great significance to Israel's current battles. And at the latest Bible study, Netanyahu decried the fact that the Jewish people are boycotted and denigrated and turned into the focus of all evil. Of course, he said, this is ridiculous when you look at the exodus of human beings who were fleeing the ravages of extremist Islam in the Middle East and Africa. But thankfully, there are others who recognize the genius of the Jewish people. The people of the book. The Jewish people are also the people of cyberspace. While tragically, American leaders have been turning against Israel. Nevertheless, Israel has been breaking through to new continents and making ties with new countries. Israel is forging new connections with China, India, Japan, Africa, Latin America, and, and Brazil. Arab supremism mustn't be accepted at the expense of the Jewish state.
So during this new year, we urgently continue to pray to God the vital cry of Psalm 25, verse 22, which says, Redeem Israel out of all of his troubles, O God. There's been so much talk around these God-appointed festivals, as well as solar and lunar eclipses and blood moons. God has certainly been trying to get the world's attention in his love and mercy. It makes me think of the work of redemption on the cross, all of these eclipses going on. Because when the Lamb of God became, as it were, the uplifted serpent, typified by Moses in the Old Testament, darkness fell upon the earth. And from the cross, Jesus fulfilled Psalm 22, crying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, darkness fell for three hours. The whole world, the Bible says, became dark. Scientists explain it probably was some sort of eclipse, but no normal eclipse lasts for three hours. That holy time uh, was when Jesus became sin for us, when he became as accursed as a serpent upon the tree on our behalf. Something truly supernatural happened in the universe at the cross. Even though we can never fully understand it with our finite minds, the very light in the universe faltered. But Jesus also cried with a shout of triumph from the cross, It is finished! And what happened at that moment? The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Do you know that according to the Talmud, the temple veil was as thick as a man's hand? The way into the presence of God was literally, supernaturally torn open. You see, that was a sign and a wonder. And it's no wonder that the New Testament reports that a great company of Levitical priests believed in Jesus according to Acts 6-7. You see, consider the significance of that historical statement that a great company of the temple priests became obedient to the faith. The Jewish priesthood was, after all, of great dignity and influence. The office to be a priest was hereditary, and its members constituted what was considered to be a national aristocracy as it is even today in synagogues. Every priest in Jesus' day could trace back his pedigree to the first high priest, Aaron. The historian Josephus estimated the number of priests during the period of our Lord's life to be at about 20,000. So for reasons plainly to be seen, the Jewish authorities arrayed themselves in bitter hostility against the prophet of Nazareth and the greatest enemies of Jesus were God's anointed priests. So we must not read over lightly the statement in the book of Acts that a great company from among this aristocracy of the priesthood became believers after the supernatural events involving the crucifixion and the signs in the heavens and the signs during the earthquake at the time of the resurrection. The fact also that Saints were raised from the dead, and they went about this city testifying in Jerusalem. Well, now it's nearly 2,000 years later, or only two days according to Bible chronology, because Bible chronology is reckoned that one day with God equals a 1,000 years. 
So Jesus is preparing to return to earth to collect a harvest of souls of 2,000 years, both the dead in Messiah and also those of us who are still living at his second coming. And Paul looked forward to it. He mentioned it in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. He said, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. Don't you wonder exactly what command his shout will actually be? Well, we can only speculate, but I think either we'll hear our individual names shouted out, or we'll hear, as the Apostle John heard in Revelation 4.1, a voice like a talking trumpet saying, Come up here! So with a shout from the coming king, just one word, the Bible says our mortal bodies will be changed in a twinkling of an eye, as Paul described it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Well, some skeptics just aren't able to believe that God can raise the dead so quickly. But why should we limit the great God of the universe? After all, in the beginning, God spoke and there was light. God spoke again and there was water and land and so forth. God spoke the sun, the moon, and the stars into being. Wouldn't you think he could shout and also therefore raise the dead? So-called believers are also showing, I'm sorry to say, feeble faith when it comes to believing God's testimony about Israel. I know because I deal with these skeptics every day on the social media. People are forever asking me questions about Israel, full of unbelief and frankly, anti-Semitism, but the answers are clearly revealed in the Bible if they'd only take the time to honestly study for themselves. For example, a woman with an anti-Semitic attitude asks me this week on Facebook, where does it say in the Bible that Jesus was a Jew? She asked, isn't that just some interpretation? But I answered, it is fact, not interpretation, that Jesus was a Jew. His genealogy is documented twice in the Gospels, in Matthew and in Luke. He lived and he died as a Jew, as the Gospels attest. And even after the resurrection in the book of Revelation, he still identifies himself as the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root and offspring of King David. Others in the churches are very pedantic when it comes to Israel. They write on the social media that the Jews are blind and don't they see that they must accept Jesus? But God said the Jewish people, for the most part, would not be capable of recognizing Jesus as Messiah for a very long season. In fact, for two days or, according to Bible chronology, 2,000 years. This inability to see Jesus as Messiah was a judgment by God. Although they are the most intelligent people in the world, all down through the years, except for a remnant, the Jewish people have read without being able to see Jesus in obvious passages, such as Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Zechariah 12, and many other Messianic verses. Spiritual blindness was decreed by God concerning Jesus until the full number of the Gentiles are saved and brought into the church. The Apostle Paul was grieved over this spiritual phenomenon 
And yet he looked down through the tunnel of time and in Romans chapter 11, he envisioned the soon coming day when the word of God will be revealed to the Jewish people in resurrection power. The hardening in part that befell Israel will melt and the veil will be lifted. Hallelujah. A picture of this drama is seen in the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Joseph is a type of Jesus in the Old Testament. Joseph was cruelly rejected by his brethren, the sons of Jacob, and sold into slavery in Egypt. He went down as far as he could into an Egyptian dungeon. That's a picture of Jesus in the grave. But then Joseph was exalted to the throne of Pharaoh, just as Jesus has been resurrected and exalted to God's throne. Well, if you know the story, during a time of severe famine, Joseph became the savior of the Gentiles and also of his own Hebrew family. When his brothers came before him seeking food in Egypt, they weren't able to recognize Joseph dressed as the governor of Egypt and speaking the Egyptian tongue, just as Jesus is disguised to the Jews. Well, Joseph's wife was a Gentile bride, just as the church is largely a Gentile bride to Jesus. Joseph's brothers never thought for a moment that Joseph and all of that Egyptian get-up and garb was in fact their brother. But Joseph trapped them and he cornered them. Only when he stripped off his Egyptian clothing and spoke in their mother tongue of Hebrew did his brothers in shock and awe recognize him. And that's exactly what the Lord is doing with Israel. They don't recognize him at the moment, but he's cornering them. One of my prayer mentors, Lance Lambert of Blessed Memory, always used that expression. He said, the Lord is cornering Israel in our day. And just, just as Joseph wept and said in Hebrew, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery. Jesus will soon say by revelation to Israel, I am your brother Yeshua, whom you rejected, but I have loved you with an eternal love. I am your Hebrew brother. I am the lion of the tribe of Judah. I am the root and offspring of David. And the forgiveness that Yeshua extended to them 2,000 years ago at the cross will be received with much tears, love, and gratitude. That day is coming. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 11, if the temporary casting away of the Jewish people brought about the reconciling of the world, what will the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Hallelujah. That's going to be glorious. And a day I've longed to live to see. Well, do you recall how I said at the beginning of the program that in order for a nation to keep its distinctiveness, it must have strong borders and language and a culture? The Jews have always feared assimilation into Christianity because they don't want to lose their distinctiveness. And God has put that caution within them as a protection to keep them separate. So carefully, I want to say that when Israel does receive Yeshua as Messiah, they will not become another Christian nation as the world thinks of Christianity. With their Messiah, the Jews will still retain their distinctiveness as a Jewish nation, their separateness, 
their Hebrew language, their holidays, and their national characteristics. They'll still keep the Sabbath, for example. The book of Ezekiel describes the millennial rule of Messiah going from Sabbath to Sabbath. So they will keep the Jewish appointed seasons, the Modaim, the festivals of the Lord. They will surely see all the typology that Jesus, Yeshua, fulfilled in the Passover, for example, and rejoice in it. They'll worship in the temple and Messiah will rule from the throne of his father, David. My dear friend, thank you for staying with me. And my time is almost up and I must try to draw this program to a conclusion. I hope you know that God is bringing history to a culmination and we want to be on the right side of history. We want to understand what God is doing with Israel and time is marching on before the Lord returns. The summer is past and I have to ask, are we saved? The Lord Jesus once told a parable about a merchant who sold everything to attain a pearl of great price. Do you know that Jesus gave up everything to purchase you? Your life to him is valuable like a priceless pearl. He died to purchase you and me for God. Isn't that precious? We're told a pearl is formed because a bit of worthless grit gets into the softest part of the oyster and the oyster coats the grit with luminous pearl. And God turns the grit of our lives into a priceless pearl. He allows the suffering, the heartaches, and the evil in our lives to drive us to himself. And the brevity of life teaches us what shall it profit us if we gain the whole world and yet lose our soul. The good news is that the cross has never lost its power. I want to assure you that it's written in God's word that Messiah died for our sins on the cross according to the scriptures, not according to our feelings, but according to what's written in this Bible. Trust the Savior and trust this book. Messiah has already shed his innocent blood. He's risen up on high as our advocate. Our salvation is a finished work according to the scriptures. You see, when you study the Bible carefully, you learn that all sin is put away by blood. And Jesus himself became the final blood sacrifice on the altar of the cross for our sins. Our sins past, present, and future. The choice is simple. Either you're saved by trying to keep the whole law, which is really impossible to do, or we humble ourselves and we receive the Lord's atonement without price. That means our guilt is put away by his blood and God accepts us on his terms as pardoned sinners. Hallelujah, what a savior. Well, I'd like to invite you to visit our website at exploits.tv where you can click online to receive our free newsletters and learn about our Holy Land conferences, which are so exciting. And you can have access to our videos and news 24 seven. And please tell your friends about our social media. And so until next time, contending for the faith and always praying for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Dar. Shalom. The Jerusalem Channel couldn't exist without you, the viewers, who make our broadcast possible. I can't say enough how much we appreciate your comments, your suggestions, and support. From the City of the Great King, I want to tell you how much we value your prayers also. As the people of Israel say, Todah Rabbah, 
Thank you for being a part of this ministry.